Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who are committed to working on their own development and to helping others become the best version of themselves. That's a key focus of my company too, Grow Strong Leaders. We publish software tools and books that improve the way people communicate with each other at work. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I'm very excited to welcome back a former guest, Dr. Nate Regeer. Nate, welcome to my show. Oh, Meredith, it is wonderful to be here. Great to see your face today, to hear your voice, and to be here for this conversation. Well, you know, we just had the best conversation the first time, and I want to recommend that my listeners go back and listen to episode 121 in case they missed it, because there we discussed your book about resolving conflict without casualties. And that was just such a rich conversation. I loved that. And today we're going to discuss one of your other books. But first, I want to give a more formal introduction to my listeners who may not have heard your first interview. Nate is the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership firm dedicated to bringing compassion into the workplace. He's actually quite brilliant, this is my words, in creating models that foster positive relationships and workplaces, and then teaching his clients how to use them to transform their organizations. Nate is a former practicing psychologist and an expert in social emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, and leadership. He's the host of a wonderful podcast that I highly recommend that you subscribe to called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. And as I mentioned, he's also the author of three books. And the one we're going to focus on today is his most recent one, and it's called Seeing People Through, Unleash Your Leadership Potential with the Process Communication Model. That's a lot of words, Nate. So we're going to spend some time breaking them down. And the first thing I would love for you to do is talk about the title, Seeing People Through. It's such an interesting combination or sequencing of those words. So talk about why you chose that. What does it mean? Oh, thank you. Well, you know, words matter. And one of the things that I, I I was talking to somebody earlier today, and we were we we both are kind of come from an academic background. And we both appreciate how it's so important to be able to say things in plain language. You know, we go to school to learn how to make things complicated, but nobody wants that. We want practical, digestible, approachable things. And so we tried to do a, a bit of a play on words on this book. And the title actually came from a fortune cookie. My colleague, uh, who I, Jamie, who I work very closely with and who we've learned and practiced this model and trained leaders for, for almost two decades, she was offsite working and um, spending a week away from her family. And, and it was at the end of a very tough week and went out for Chinese food by herself. 
And, um, you know, when you teach somebody a model or a framework, when they learn a little bit, it's just enough to be dangerous <laughs> where they start thinking they understand and start throwing labels around and everything. And, um, and so she was kind of experiencing that place with this group. Well, she went out for dinner that night. And when she got the fortune cookie with her bill, she opened it. And on that fortune, it said, the intention is not to see through people. The intention is to see people through. She sent me a picture of it and I knew immediately this has to be the title of the book because that's what the process communication model is all about. And that's what leadership is all about. That's such a great story. So when you use that phrase, what is it you're really getting at there? What are you trying to communicate to the reader? Yeah, so maybe you've heard the phrase seeing things through to completion, which means finish what you start. Or, you know, we really need to see this through, which means don't give up, don't quit. And so, you know, seeing through people means, oh, we're trying to analyze and we're trying to figure them out. We're trying to understand them like people are some kind of a puzzle or some kind of machine you can understand. But seeing people through means you're with them all the way and in all of the ways that they are wonderful and unique. And as leaders, we walk alongside people through our own development and through de their development. And so that's what we mean by seeing people through, which means go all the way. Mm, that's so great. And of course, the other piece here is the process communication model. So what was it? Let's kind of look at what was it that caused you to say, this is a book I must write. You had mm. written this other wonderful book, yeah. you know, on conflict and tying in compassion. Um, what was the driver behind this one? Well, I've been wanting to write a book about process communication model for many, many years, ever, ever since I started using it in my clinical practice and then training it in professional leadership development. I just felt like um, I wanted to do that. But there's a lot of books that have been written and, you know, a new one would come out every couple of years and I'd read it. And it was good. And but I just kept feeling like there's 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 a different angle, a different way to present this material to people. And meanwhile, I'm, I've, I've been blogging, I've been writing a lot just in smaller ways about the model. And, the, and our, our niche is leadership development, particularly around communication and conflict. And I think we finally got, I got to the point where I had a critical mass of stuff I'd written that I felt like, you know, I think I could, I could put together something here that would really capture our unique take on this and uh, write a book that's not just about the model, but about leadership, where the model comes in to support some of the most important themes, the most critical struggles that leaders have. And so it just felt like the time was right. And I, I, maybe I was kind of getting to the point in my career that I felt like I wanted to make a contribution to the, to the literature and also to the global um, um, network of over 3,000 trainers and coaches that are using this model. Mm. That's great. I didn't realize it was that widespread. I know you've had a lot of impact yourself, but it's nice to know because I loved this book. I like the way you structured it, weaving in this story about this young woman going to work at a company that actually exemplifies this model and then making points and, and providing those wonderful graphics at the end of each chapter. So, Let's make this really concrete for my listeners. Describe what this process communication model is and how does it tie in with personality? Yes, 
Yes. Great, great question. And you use the two most important words, which is communication and personality. And the process communication model, um, it's kind of like a, um, a, a ball. It depends which angle you look at it from. If you look at it from one angle, it's a model of personality because it talks about six different personality types we all have in us to some degree and how they're manifested. But if you turn the ball around, you see that it's really a model of communication because individual differences only really matter when we try to communicate with each other. That's where individual differences come through and manifest themselves. So this model is really special for me. And I've seen a lot of models. We work with a lot of them because it specifically focuses on how we actually communicate with each other second by second, day by day, in a way that honors and magnifies and includes all of these wonderful personality types. So yes, it's a model of communication, but it's a model of how different personalities communicate. Let's look at comparing it, if you will, to some of the ones that my listeners are probably already very familiar mm -hmm. with, like Myers-Briggs and the DISC. Mm -hmm. Those are also uh, personality or style, behavioral assessments, whatever you want to call them. And I know yours is really different from those. Talk a little yeah. bit about what's dis what are the distinctions that yours has? Yeah, thank you. I just want to be real clear. The process communication model is over 40 years old. Um, it was developed by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Tavy Kaler. Um, I am a certifying master trainer and our company is a distributor in the United States, but we aren't the developer of the model. We're just a steward of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I, I really don't want to get into comparisons, but, but we get asked all the time. So we've identified a couple key features of this model that make it different, make it unique and why we like it. One of them is that it was developed uh, based on the observation of actual behavior, hundreds and hundreds of hours of people's second by second interactions. This was not developed based on some theorists or scientists conceptualization of personality that then was turned into some assessment. This truly was evolved out of the actual observation and mathematical analysis of real behaviors. So that's very unique because it's behavioral model. Um, the second thing is it focuses on actual communication. Um, I was telling you before we started recording that I just finished a, a wonderful program training medical um, leaders at a large regional hospital. And one of them said what she likes about this model is it teaches you to how to actually communicate not just knowledge and awareness about individual differences, but real tools to talk to people. Um, another difference that's unique about this model is it distinguishes the relationship between positive attention, which is motivation, and negative attention, which is distress. And that those two are actually two sides of a coin, very predictable, very observable, and very connected. Um, so when we're trying to deal with negative behaviors, it's not random, it's not guesswork. We know exactly uh, what to do to intervene in a positive way. Um, and then finally, it's called the process communication model because very often how we say something is more important than what we actually say. I know most of your listeners probably can relate to a time when maybe someone said, I don't like your tone, or it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Um, or maybe you can't interpret, you can't make sense out of what someone said because the body language doesn't match what they said. So the process communication model is, is the only model I know of that unpacks that very, very clearly and helps you appreciate how we say something is very, very important. 
Well, one of the other things that to me is um, a real strength of yours, and it's really, you know, a lesson woven throughout the whole book is this idea that there are these six types, as you call them, but we're not typing someone as a particular thing. We all have all six. It's the degree to which we become aware of, you know, how strong they each are. But to me, even the even more important thing in the lesson for leaders is that we can access those within ourselves in order to connect with someone who has a particular type as their number one, let's say, or as their base. And so talk yeah. a little bit about this construct of a condominium and yeah, the yeah. Because I think that, again, will help make it more real for folks. Well, Meredith, probably the very most important feature or or quality of this model is what you've mentioned, is it's about types in people, not types of people. Hmm. We have all six in us, just like we all have the same muscles, but they're all developed to different degrees. They all have a purpose and they all work together for our body to function. So PCM conceptualizes personality like a six floor condominium. And these six floors each represent a type in us. Of course, they're arranged in a particular set order that's usually set at birth or very soon after that. And each floor starting at the bottom, which is our strongest, most developed floor, um, has capabilities and ways of seeing the world and ways of communicating and ways of being motivated. So we can literally ride our elevator to any floor press that button, get off on that floor, and then see the world that way, interact with the world that way, appreciate people who experience the world that way. So the fact that it's in us instead of of us means that we have the capability within us to appreciate all of the other types in other people. And that's that's kind of a, 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 maybe a surprise to some folks. Because I think we often, once we go through a, a, an assessment like this, we tend to label ourselves or sometimes people label themselves in a workplace and it can actually be to the detriment of others because somehow yeah. one is perceived as better yeah. Yeah. Uh, or more desirable to have or be than others. So how do you help somebody you know, come to appreciate whatever it is that's their, their base floor yeah and recognize that may or may not serve them well, depending on who they're interacting with. Yeah, yeah. that's, you, you said a, a rich amount there about how, how we often interact with these frameworks. And I think one of the problems is if we're only gonna teach somebody about a model of personality and we're gonna stop short of teaching them the interaction skills to act on that knowledge, all we leave them is a group of labels. That's all we leave them with. And so now they go around saying, you're a this, you're a that, I'm a that. And then we start hiding behind our personalities and we start getting entitled like, well, you know, they said I'm a this, so therefore I don't have to come into work till 10 o'clock and you should just deal with it. Or I'm an introvert, so don't, you know, don't call me on Fridays. Like, wait, that is not the purpose of these things. So um, when we teach this model, we say, yeah, you do have preferences. You should know yourself in that way. But you can learn to speak all six languages if you want to be an agile communicator. If you want to be an agile leader, you can learn to mobilize the energies in you to motivate people that are very different from you um, or aren't motivated like you. But you have the capacity within you to appreciate that 
and to take their perspective on life. One of the favorite stories early in the book, your your um, protagonist, if you will, your main <laughs> character, Kayla. Yeah. Uh, it, early on in her employment with this company, <clears throat> went home and was talking to her boyfriend about all she had learned. And she was very enthusiastic. And he was more poking holes in it. You know, well, what yeah. about this? And questioning that. And she immediately withdrew. It was like, oh. yeah. And I'll tell you, I relate to that because she and I are somewhat similar in terms of my enthusiasm about something when I Mm -hmm. am gung ho and I've been married to my husband almost 40 years now. And he is much more like her boyfriend, you know, sit there and think. And and if I come across overly emotionally excited, it it causes his his uh, Mm -hmm. resistance to go up. It's like, uh, what has she not thought through <laughs> with this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've learned over the years to, I think, access, you know, where he is coming from in, yeah. in using your terms and and taking a more straightforward, less high emotion approach, more factual to get him to be able to receive the idea. It's not yeah. trying to manipulate, but it's. opening up the communication so we can connect about this particular topic. Oh, Kayla, she, she has a lot of experiences and she learns a lot of valuable lessons. And in that interaction, you're talking about one of the lessons she comes to learn is that if you want someone to understand you speak their language and she came in speaking her language, her favorite, you know, each personality type has a dialect, a way of speaking. And she came in with hers, very enthusiastic, coming at him from her point of view, her perspective, and uh, real different from his. And so he naturally experienced a little bit of, you know, they had potential for miscommunication, which is often what happens when you're not speaking the same language. You don't understand each other. And at first she took it personally. So she also learned the lesson that sometimes how people respond is not about you. It's about them and how they're seeing the world and how they're experiencing you. It's not necessarily what you said, but maybe how you said it. Um, And then she tries it. She tries to say, hey, maybe if I say it a different way, say the same thing, but in a different way, he might be able to to hear it. And she tries that and he listens better. He's more empathetic with her and he's more supportive because he's able to, to appreciate where she's coming from when she speaks his language. That's, yeah, that's such a good point. I've discovered that myself. Why don't you give us a quick rundown of the six types so people sure. can get an idea and think about where do I identify yeah. best? Well, I'd love to. And the let's start with Kayla and her boyfriend. So Kayla's base personality type, now she has all six, but her base personality type um, is what we call rebel. And no, sorry, harmonizer. Harmonizer is the type in us that is compassionate and sensitive and warm and wants relationships and gets really excited about things that could help people connect better and and, and be closer to each other. Loves people. Her boyfriend, his base personality type is persister. Persister is naturally dedicated and conscientious and observant and very value driven. They tend to be more, more skeptical because they're trying to size up situations. Can I trust you? Do you have values? Um, is there integrity here at play? So they might tend to be a little more suspicious at first. 
um, and not just embrace everything right off the bat. You know, they have to, they have to learn a little bit about you and see what you're made of first. And then there's the thinker personality type that we all have in us. And people with a thinker base personality are very logical and responsible and organized. And it's really about task completion and staying on task and being efficient and using their time well. And they very focus a lot more on the data and the information in a situation. So maybe Kayla, if she's all excited about this, they may have been asking questions like, well, how long has it been around? And what does the studies say? And what's the research? And, you know, show me more and explain this and explain that. Um, and then another personality type is called the rebel. The rebel type in us is spontaneous and creative and playful, also very enthusiastic, but much more wanting to have fun than wanting to emotionally connect with people. And they tend to have no mufflers. Um, if, if, they're, if they're thinking it, it comes out of their mouth. And so often they get in trouble or get accused of being a little bit coarse, maybe not professional, or maybe not um, saying things quite in the right way, but they wear their heart on their sleeve and they live in the moment. Um, and then another type is called the imaginer. And the imaginer is much more reflective and imaginative and calm. Um, perhaps the most introverted of all the types, although several are introverted, um, but they really spend a lot more time inside reflecting and imagining, and they don't react very much to the world around them. Um, so although they're brilliant on the inside, sometimes it doesn't look like much is going on and it's easy to mislabel them. And then finally is the promoter base. Uh, that's my base personality type. Um, they're characterized as being adaptable, charming, and persuasive. So charisma is kind of their strength. They love to be around people. They love to sell ideas, sell concepts, get people going on, on a mission. You know, I get so excited talking about these things because I want to get everybody on board. Um, and so they like to, they like to live a little larger. They're not afraid of groups and unexpected things because they don't mind the risk of it because it's kind of exciting for them. So these, all six of these are within each of us and all each of them has a really important role and purpose to play depending on who we're dealing with and what's going on in our world. Mm-hmm. Such a great description. So I hope everybody was thinking about, hmm, which one seems to be my base? And also then which one is at the top of the condominium? Right at the top. Is um, something that I haven't developed the muscle for. I like the comparison with developing muscles and thinking about even strength training. All right, what part am I ignoring? And oh, yeah, which part am I really emphasizing and building strength in? One of the other um, interesting to me, probably the best I've seen, really, when I think about your description of what this looks like when somebody is operating from a healthy place mm -hmm. versus operating from distress. Right. So talk a little bit what you mean by distress and how it shows up for those different types. Yeah. So, so this condominium with these six floors, each floor has wonderful qualities and characteristics and, and, and capabilities and perspectives. When we are healthy, when we're taking care of ourselves and we're meeting our needs in healthy ways, we can ride our elevator to any floor and we can access the qualities. Now, maybe not for a long time, you know, like, you know, you can use your bicep, but if it's not very, if you don't have a lot of stamina, maybe you can't lift weights all day, but you can do a little. That's all great. That gives us the agility that we need. But um, I live in Kansas and in Kansas and here in the Midwest, we have tornadoes and we have basements that we go into when the storm comes. And so the condominium also has underground. 
And the underground floors are the dark side of our positive motivational needs. So part of the PCM assessment that you can take will show you where, where are you motivated? How are you motivated? What kind of gets you going and, and, and juices you up every day? And then on the other side of it, when your tank is empty, what, how do you undermine your own and others' success in very predictable ways? And so that's the dark side. That's the basement underground part of the distress. And it's called a distress sequence. It's very predictable. It's very observable um, and it's sequential. So it means that we can, we can reverse the problem at any time um, with particular interventions. So the fact that each one of these different types has a predictable distress signal, yep. if you will, mm -hmm. the alert leader can be paying attention and I think this is where not taking things personally and learning to recognize what this person is, yeah. you know, calling for, because they may not have the awareness if they yeah. especially haven't learned about all of this, mm -hmm. but a leader could more quickly recognize what's going yeah. on and address it appropriately. And so it seems obvious, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why is it so important for leaders to have this level of yes. awareness? Well, the, the, the group of physicians I was working with yesterday put it best. They said, learning about the distress sequence is like discovering a precursor to an illness. In the medical community, when you find a precursor, that is huge because a precursor is a lot less damaging. You can intervene sooner and you can turn things around before it gets so bad. It saves the system money. It saves pain. It, um, there's so many benefits of being able to see it coming early. And so PCM is the only model I know of that can detect distress coming literally second by second by watching the structure of a person's sentence when they're speaking. And then it gives you very, very specific communication strategies to be able to intervene and invite that person back into an, a healthy place. So leaders that can recognize this can, can speak in, a pro, in proper ways to their people and help avert things getting worse. Even if that other person isn't aware of the model or doesn't know what's happening, they can speak to them in the most affirming, uplifting, uh, therapeutic way for that situation. Can you give us an example of someone that you've worked with who's learned how to recognize these and something they did in a specific situation that helped de-escalate yeah. it? I'll give you a great example for me. Um, one of the strongest floors in my personality is the thinker floor. And um, when the thinker personality type starts to go into distress, one of the telltale signs is they start to overqualify, overexplain, use big words when little words would do, um, and they start to they start to get more and more and more verbose without getting to the point, without ever getting to the question. And so, when I'm in first degree distress, I talk a lot without accomplishing anything, and and my my lead, my peers on my team are just sitting there like, when's he going to get to the point? When's he going to get to the question? it rolls over into my emails. They get longer and longer with more parentheticals, more attachments, more embedded links, and everybody's time starts to get more and more consumed. Now, I'm not actively attacking anybody. I'm not doing anything that would appear to be aggressive, but they know that that's the first sign that things could be, that things could be escalating. 
So the intervention at that point is to gently interrupt and then to invite me back into my clear thinking by asking me a very specific question about facts and data, because that's my favorite thing. So they may say, hey, Nate, time out really quick. Just wanted, just wanted to ask you, so what are the top three things you wanted me to know about that article you read yesterday? And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, boom, boom, boom. And I'm, I'm out of it. But prior to that, I was rambling in a non-coherent way, wasting everybody's time. So those kinds of little interventions, just one example of how with language, with particular communication, you can interrupt the distress and invite a person back into their clear thinking space. That's great. So I also want to ask you about how this all ties into inclusion and diversity, because those are such hot topics, yeah, right? Really right. Is. So, and I yeah. know there's a way that these are all woven together. So explain how they relate. Yeah. Well, I want to first uh, uh, say a disclaimer. I am by no means a diversity and inclusion expert in the more traditional ways that you might've thought about it. Um, I have grown up all over the world. I've, I've, most of my growing up was in Africa. I've been around a lot of, um, prejudice, discrimination, conflict, and seen it and been steeped around it. So I care deeply and I've seen a lot of things, but from a personality perspective, there's some really interesting ways in which we tend to have unconscious bias about different personality types. Um, people with my kind of charisma, if that's a, a very weak developed part in your personality, you might've experienced people like me as manipulative snake oil salesmen. They're selling Nissans today and they're selling Buicks tomorrow, you know, and they're just going to be knocking on your door and you don't want to let them in. Well, that's the dark side, not the positive side. So there's unconscious bias and we see it systemically. Um, just the other day, we were talking about um, a job description that had in, in its description, um, so we want self-starters, people with initiative. Well, those are qualities of only three of the six personality types. And so when you're saying that, you're already ruling out three potential types that could make a ma major contribution in your, in your workplace. Also, when we just real quick, when we look at um, gender breakdowns by personality type, we see that there's very interesting overlaps where we might be thinking this is a gender issue, but it's actually not. It's a personality issue that is, that is being called or named a gender problem because that's the most obvious thing we see. Um, so there's just a lot going on. And I think we have a lot of room to grow in our organizations, taking a look at how personality impacts motivation, um, engagement, um, sense of belonging, and, and start to pay attention to that and see the ways in which we might be systematically making it easier for some types to succeed and a lot harder for others. Hmm. Good point. Yeah, we, there are words like the self-starter that we don't necessarily associate with a label of yeah. you know either attracting or re repelling certain yeah. kinds of um, folks that might be interested in the job that we have. That's that's an interesting thing <laughs> to think about. That I think the takeaway is: Are we being as inclusive as possible with our language yeah. to bring yeah. in a variety of people? Because there's a danger, I think, of surrounding yourself with people who are just like you. Yeah. Do you ever run? Oh into my that? gosh. With the we do, with? we do. And it's not even intentional or, or devious. We just tend to connect better with people that speak our language. 
oh, you get me. I understand you. We kind of, we trust people more naturally when they're speaking the same personality language as us. But when they speak a different personality language, we, we, we start to wonder if maybe they're as dependable or as trustworthy or as, as good. And so, yeah, we start to, and we see that the higher up you go up in leadership, the more monolithic the personality types are, which is really a challenge. Um, you know, an example of amazing leadership was, um, um, oh, the, the, the Bulls coach, uh, Phil Jackson. I mean, look at, look at uh, Dennis Rodman. He is not a self-starter. He has no initiative whatsoever, but is one of the most phenomenal defensive players we've ever seen. But it's because he is externally motivated. Michael Jordan, internally motivated, incredibly driven, sets goals, works his butt off every single day while Rodman is gambling in, in Vegas. They both show up on the court on the same day and work together to win a national championship. So Phil Jackson understood that different personality types need to be led differently in order to bring their gifts out. But you can't expect the same thing out of each one and then act like it's a character flaw if they don't do it. Mm. That's a great example. <laughs> and it, it ties in really to the next question. You mentioned the word agility a few times now. Mm -hmm. So what does that really mean for someone in a leadership role when you refer to having personality agility? What are you really yes. suggesting? What I'm suggesting is that we take the concept of situational leadership, which many people are familiar with, and we elevate it to think about it this way. What if the situation is actually the person that you're dealing with? So agile leaders are able to flex their communication style, flex their motivational strategies, even flex the way they present a topic based on the person that they're leading. And so we see this in teachers. I've seen teachers lead a class of 35 children with all six different personality types all together towards the same goal because they flex and they're agile in their communication in order to reach each child according to how they wanna hear it. Leaders can do the same thing every day. It requires awareness, right? And, and self-awareness too, because your model is really requiring someone to go within and take responsibility for observing and noticing where's the disconnect here and then drawing upon themselves and, and what they know they are capable of. And that has to happen pretty quickly. What's the process of someone learning how to do that on a more well, automatic basis? You're absolutely right, Meredith. It starts in here. It starts with learning about myself. I have to understand my strengths, my weaknesses, my triggers, what fills my tank, what I start to do in distress when I'm not thinking clearly. And so when I'm aware of those things, then I can begin taking responsibility for them. So the next step then is, so what am I gonna do about that? Is I have to be a steward of my own personality energy. I have to take personal responsibility to make sure my tank is full when I show up. I have to take personal responsibility if I sense myself going into distress that I, that I either fix it or remove myself from the situation because at that point I'm only making things worse. Um, and once I've kind of got a handle on that, then I can start developing my muscles to connect with other people um, and, and be able to start developing the ability to flex and um, adapt and uh, speak other languages, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, that ties in with you're mentioning the fill your own tank. I loved your analogy about 
looking at the gas tank in your car and seeing that it's showing it's empty <laughs> and getting mad at it. <laughs> we do that every day. Yeah. Give yeah. an example of how that might look in a, in a work setting. How might yeah. someone get mad at someone else when it's really yeah. this over here that we need to fill the tank? So a group I was working with recently, we often ask a group, what are, what are behaviors you struggle to communicate with? You just kind of drives you nuts, you know, you get triggered by them. And this group had a list of about 15 things and over half of them all clustered around one category of behaviors, which was basically not being responsible, shirking responsibility, blaming, being, act like it's not your fault, making excuses. They all come into this no responsibility. Well, it turns out that all of these people shared one common strong personality type, which is highly responsible by nature. It's just built into them. But the least developed personality in their culture was the rebel personality type, spontaneous, creative, and playful. And that type, when they don't get their needs met, when they don't get to move, when they don't get to express themselves, their natural tendency and distress is to blame and avoid responsibility. So they were detecting a cluster of behaviors that was a result of a personality type in their culture desperately having an empty tank all the time. And they judge this behavior as being inappropriate. We don't like it. We don't want it. We need to get rid of it. And so now they're able to think like, wow, maybe we've got some cars running around with empty fuel tanks and we're criticizing the gas gauge instead of filling the tank. And it was like, wow, what a completely different way to think about if we get into negative power struggles around negative behavior, what if that behavior is actually the fuel gauge? Then you realize how silly we are to be yelling at the fuel gauge when we should just be going straight to the gas station, figure out what octane they want and fill that tank. So in the case of that, this lack of responsibility or perceived lack of responsibility, what was the solution for the individuals that were raising that as an issue? Yeah. Well, in this situation, we, we, we examine what's called the rebel phase personality type. What do they need? They need contact. They need frequent contact with people, things, movement, um, playful banter, um, movement, sights, sounds, toys, games, um, stimulation is really important for them. And so we started talking about, is there ways that we can help them build that into their workflow in a way that's not you know, disrespectful to other people, but it, it helps them honor who they are. Are there ways that we could rearrange the flow of their day and the way in which they do their work so they can move and not sit at a desk all day? Can we give them more objects to mess with at their table? You know. And so when we started thinking that way, basically we're saying, can we build in charging stations for them around the company so that when their Tesla gets drained, they plug it in, you know? And so then it was like, oh, wow, we could get creative about this. And there's all kinds of things we could do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was thinking about as I'm listening to you describe that situation is you're really helping people remove their judgment about someone else yeah. and, and their behavior to elevate that to an understanding rather yeah. because when we're in a judgment state, uh, which I guess is another form of distress, it prevents us from really being able to connect with that person. And of course it goes back to judging ourselves yeah. too. 
So oh, you're so right. And, and when we realize we have all six types in us, then when we hate another type, we're hating that part of us. And so it starts with us learning and getting curious about that part in us. Then we can get curious and learn and start to understand how that part, what that part is like when it's a major part of somebody else. And then we can have wonderful conversations about how do I see you and how do you see me and how do our behaviors come across to each other? And what do we want to do about that? Because we're both experiencing the world through our own perceptions, through our own filters. And that's our real world. That's our reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, perspective taking um, is a huge part of this training. Wow. I just love what you said, because this whole idea of hating a part of ourselves, you know, which we don't allow ourselves to have access to, and then projecting that onto somebody else who we see it. And it's like, oh, no, that's, that's not how you should be. It's just this whole thing of getting past our judging of ourselves and others. And that brings me to my final question around your final chapter (laughs) of self full, which I love. It's self F-U-L-L. So talk about what you mean by that and how it relates to this whole topic of personality types and leadership. Well, I suppose if we're talking about vehicles still, we could talk about um, you would want a tank full driver, right? You would want a driver to pick you up that had a tank full because that would mean you could go places and you would have flexibility for them to take you places. So why wouldn't you want a self-full leader? And what that means is that we are not selfish and we are not selfless. Self-full means that I am owning the fact that I have to be fueled up. I have to take care of myself because then I have the flexibility, the agility, the capacity to lead, to serve, to meet people where they're at. So I guess it's not that much different than put your oxygen mask on before you try to help the person next to you. Um, Otherwise you're running on empty and and it's kind of like uh, if you were drowning and the life guard jumped in to save you, but they didn't know how to swim. Um, I think they probably should invest in their own training and their own skills and keep up their practice before they want to jump in. So um, Self-full means taking care of you so that you can serve others. Mm -hmm. Such wise words. I love that we're kind of summarizing with that, because I think when we hear and and you you talked about this in the book, the idea of servant leadership doesn't Mm -hmm. mean putting yourself last. It really means taking care of yourself first so that you can serve others more effectively. I think that's a very powerful way of being. Nate. You know, Ken Blanchard's Ken Blanchard and Ken and, and Conley's Randy Conley's new book is just phenomenal because he's the, he's the guru of servant leadership. But if you read deeper into the book, he talks exa- also about being self-full and that you can't be a servant leader unless you're also taking care of you. So um, this is this is new stuff, but it sure is important to re- remind us of. It it really is, and I want to thank you. I just love talking to you, and you have so much wisdom to share. I want to recommend everybody pick up a copy of this book, Seeing People Through, because if you're in any kind of leadership position, business owner, work with clients who need to become better leaders then I think this book gives you a wonderful framework for understanding yourself and those around you, including your family members. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
and being more effective there. So, Nate, how can people connect with you, get a copy of your books, both yeah. books, actually, your other one, uh, uh, Conflict Without Casualties, uh, and um, learn more about seeing people yeah. through well, we've tried to make it really easy with our website, one-stop shop for you to learn everything and uh, about our company. So it's next-element.com. And from there, you can learn about our books. You can learn about our services. You can subscribe to the blog and watch the podcast and or, or listen to the podcast and um, receive all kinds of free things to help you on your journey. That's great. We'll include that in the show notes, next.element.com. Next-element. Oh, next dash element.com. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Well, thank you, Nate, for who you are and what you're doing and the positive impact you're having on leaders and everyone in an organization with the work that you do. I appreciate you. Thank you. It's my purpose and it's my passion. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and peer coaching made simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.